Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with John Houston, Vice President of Information Security and Privacy and Associate Counsel with UPMC. I'm Anthony Guerra, Founder and Editor-in-Chief. John, thanks for joining me. Good morning. Thank you. All right. Very good. John, you want to start off, tell me a little bit about your organization and your role. Sure. Um, UPMC is a very large integrated delivery system uh, based out of uh Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, of over 40 hospitals. I forget the exact revenue, but it's somewhere uh, around, I think, $27 billion. Um, we also have a, uh, a large uh, health plan as part of UPMC. So um, cover, uh, I believe, all of Pennsylvania and maybe a few parts of a few other states. Um, my role is um, I'm responsible for information security, and really, frankly, what we found is that security and privacy are becoming more and more merged. And so I'm also responsible for privacy. And frankly, uh, you, you can't really do either without really um, being responsible as well for data governance, which is a big part of my job, too. Uh, you know, I think if you look back a few years when um, the Office of Civil Rights was doing their audits, one of the things they, they um, found was a lot of uh, organizations weren't doing an adequate risk assessment. And the reason why they weren't doing an adequate risk assessment is because they didn't know where their data was at. So if people ask, well, why, why do I do data governance? It's because of that. You have to know where your data assets are in order to be able to appropriately secure them and then overlay appropriate privacy principles as well. So um, it's really a merged function that, you know, is, is together just because of that. Very good. Now, John, are you essentially the, the CISO or is there a CISO I'm not aware of? No, I, I am the CISO. Okay. Um, Just the title. I, I guess I'm, I'm bucking the, 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 the trend in titles. So you don't want to just add it on, throw a little acronym in there. Well, I, I guess, I guess I could, but um, <laughs> to me, the, the, the title works for me. Okay. Very good. All right. Uh, I'm gonna actually, go the, if you think about it, at the end of the day, if something bad happens, they know who to come to anyway. To regardless come to. Of the title. But I did see, if I'm incorrect, the the health plan has a CISO. Is that correct? Um, he, he's yes. The health plan has somebody that does um, mostly application level security. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't want to do. I don't want to misstate his responsibilities, but uh, he works uh, and they work closely with us. Mm -hmm. um, my team, I, if you think about it um, in terms of function, my team does infrastructure security um, mostly. Um, we do work then with the application teams to ensure that their applications are secure as well. Um, but I, my, my team stands up a lot of the security infrastructure that's necessary to ensure that we have appropriate security at UPMC. And then we work then with the different groups like the health plan, um, like our application developers and uh, integrators and, and the like to make sure then that at the application layer, we, we have appropriately security um, embedded as well. Um, so interesting. So you talked about the importance of the connection between security and privacy, obviously, yep. and then security and data governance. Yep. Can you talk to me about, uh, you know, and there's a lot of, again, titles, there's a lot of titles out there. There's Chief sure. data officers, there's directors of data, there, there's all these kind of folks. Uh, sure. Tell me about your relationship with the folks who lead uh, data governance and data management. Well, I, I look at it this way. I mean, my, my team is really 
ultimately responsible for understanding where our data resides and where it's going. And as we move more and more to the cloud, understanding where data is going is even more important. Um, and so we're really uh, focused on working with the, the different individuals throughout the organization um, who are responsible for deciding where that data goes, um, working with the applications themselves to make sure we understand what their data management plans are, um, where they're sending data, um, things of that sort, make sure we have appropriate approvals when when somebody on the business side decides they want to send data somewhere, mm. uh, you know, our our, uh, our really our, our data governance program really is based around this this notion that um, we have uh, information owners in the different areas, and those information owners are ultimately responsible for making a decision about whether a data uh, should go to a particular destination, or who, or if somebody needs to use it for some purpose, they have to sign off on that purpose. Um, so we have a chief, you know, medical information officer, who really ultimately is the person that makes a call uh, when it comes to um, uh, clinical data. Our so, CFO is responsible for financial data. Mm -hmm. So they would ultimately either directly or somebody that they appoint to fill that role as as a as as a data steward would make the decision whether uh, a request to send data somewhere is is, is going to be honored. So they, they're making the decision of, of based on clinical need or business need where, where they want the data to go. You need to be brought into that process to make sure that that is a secure arrangement, that the destination is secure. And does that fall under sort of the third party risk management? So you're. you're it does. It, yeah. it, it absolutely does as well. But you think of it this way. We're the ones that need to make sure that that approval occurs before the decision is made to actually send the data. Right. And then to make sure that we have a secure environment in which we are um, going to send the data. I'd also add that we also, as part of our, our function, have a third-party risk management function as well. Uh, and in that regard, um, we do do a lot of work to understand the security posture of those third parties who we're sending our data to. And I will tell you that is a enormous challenge. Uh, that's an area of focus for me for the last probably three or four years. It's one that's um, we're spending a lot of effort on, but it's one where we see an enormous amount of risk. And in fact, um, I, I did a presentation uh, at the end of last week and I asked for a show of hands, you know, who, how many organizations had a, uh, a risk within their, or a breach within their organization. And there was, basically no show of hands, but when you asked the question, well, how many of you have had a third party that's had a breach, about everybody raised their hands. Um, so, you know, that's a, a a huge area of concern and a huge area of focus is, is third party risk. So many, so many things connect to each other here between the, yep. you know, the security, the privacy, the data. I've also heard quite a bit um, people talking about the merging um, in essence, if not technically, of the CISO and CTO roles because of the connections there between patching and things like that. Sure. What are your thoughts around that? Well, it's interesting because um, my boss um, has a, a sort of a CTO uh, responsibility role. And, uh, you know, he and I obviously work quite closely. Um, and yeah, he... Uh, his his span of responsibility is all of our infrastructure, security, things of that sort. So, you know, he it's it's important that there be the ability 
to um, combine security with the other functional areas to make sure that we do have a a, a, a broad-based, uh, effective, integrated security program. So I guess to, to, to answer your question, I think it's incredibly important that you have um, a, a technology leader aligned with your security leader. Uh, there's a lot more, though, I will say this to security than, to, than simply applying technologies. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes CISOs get caught up in trying to solve everything um, by with, with security. You know, the old adage, you know, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. Right. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of effort that goes into, you know, again, things like governance, um, third party risk programs. Um, you know, so it, it yes, technology is incredibly important to, to having a secure environment. But as I think I said before, a secure environment's not everything. When, when the vast majority of your data is out with third parties somewhere in the cloud, you know, multiple copies of very sensitive data, um, you know, you, you have to rely upon others. And part of that then is having a, a robust third party um, risk and security program, which is, is, is very little of it's based around technology or can be because you're really dependent upon their technology, not yours. Right. No, it does. It does. Um, you know, a lot of the, the hardest thorniest challenges around security or with anything, uh, come down to humans and change or getting them to do or not do certain things, you know, two huge, huge areas of risk. You talk about the third parties, but also every single user you have with a login in your system. Right. So you need to create that culture of security. Let's take that first. What are your thoughts Mm -hmm. around um, what security leaders uh, can or should be doing to create that culture and the proper mindset? Because if you don't have that, all the tools in the world aren't going to help you. Right. I have I have a number of people that all they are is focused on education and awareness. And we do a lot of work in that area. Uh, not just our end users, but our our technology staff as well. Um, I, on a biweekly basis, uh, we have a, a a Teams call where we talk about current threats, current challenges, and security. And it's open to anybody who wants to attend within UPMC. Um, and we have hundreds of people that attend that call. It's not mandatory. It's it's you know it's open to the to all staff and, uh, you know, that's a, a way of, of raising awareness in IT, by example. But we have all sorts of campaigns that we do. We do annual training, you know, uh, to, to try to raise awareness. At the end of the day, though, there's still a balance between end user awareness and putting technology controls in place to, to prevent people from doing stupid things. Because it's amazing what people will do, <laughs> um, unfortunately. <laughs> So it's a combination, but if if anything, don't you think that CISOs probably um, shy away from that stuff and and sort of go more to their comfort zone of of tools and that that maybe? Yeah. No? I mean, I guess if, if, again, if if every if you're a hammer, everything's a nail. Um, that's why a CISO has to have uh, a broader understanding than just technologies and tools. They need to understand, um, you know. The, the the bigger picture mm-hmm. that again that you know if you were to say to me what is my um, most important initiative it's around third party risk as I said before and third party risk yes somebody's got to be applying tools but it's not us that's doing the application tools what we're doing is is trying to 
make sure we're doing an appropriate assessment and evaluation of our third parties and ensuring that they have adequate security. That's all around process. Um, you know, we are also really focused on ensuring that we are um, using a, 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 a security framework to guide our program. We use high trust. We're high trust certified. And uh, I think that that's incredibly important as well is, is making sure that, you know, you're applying a framework and you're doing it in a mature fashion. Um, and by doing so, you're addressing new risks because as the security frameworks mature or, or evolve, as mm -hmm. new risks evolve, those frameworks evolve. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, and then if, by applying them, you're able to, uh, you know, keep up with those, those, those risks and those trends. So let's talk a little bit about uh, high trust and, and this uh, new entity you're working with, um, H3PT. Um, yes. So... <clears throat> Now, with high trust, uh, any entity can be high trust certified. UPMC can be high trust certified. We, Vendors, we are, we actually, you we are, are high. We've gone through the process. Uh, we've been using high trust as a framework for many, many years, mm -hmm. probably eight or ten years now. Um, it, and we were originally doing our own self certification using our internal audit staff. Uh, a number of years ago, probably four or five years ago, we started to use an outside uh, auditor. That was um, that uh, you know was was themselves certified to do high trust assessments, right? Um, and so we now use them to do um, a, a an external you know independent review of our high trust program, uh, so that we can be uh, formally certified by high trust the organization. And we are we've actually just finished this round of high trust certification. So we do that both at the infrastructure layer and then. Um, at the um, application layer for about a, a dozen or so applications within our portfolio. Now, high trust embodies the the principle, and I'm tell me if I'm incorrect. High trust embodies the principles of NIST, but goes beyond it. And there, you cannot get certified by NIST, but you can be certified by high trust. Correct? Uh, yes, that's correct. Yeah. And, and what really what high trust tries to do is, it started in healthcare, and it, so what it tried to do is build a framework applicable to healthcare, um, included NIST, ISO, actually took a lot of the principles out of uh, HIPAA itself for regulatory compliance. But what I tried to do was build a framework that was applicable to a healthcare entity. So it sort of took, I don't want to say the best from, from all worlds, but it took the most applicable requirements and, and, and standards um, from from wherever and tried to build out a, a, a framework would would, would 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 apply to healthcare. So yes, you have ISO, you have NIST, um, you apply HIP, so you know, the, the, some of the HIPAA rec, um, regulations to it as well to make sure you're meeting those. So it, it's it's really intended to be a, a sort of a one stop shop for 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 security within healthcare. I got one framework. more for you. Tell me how this fits yeah. in. SOC two type two. <laughs> Where does that fit into the picture here? Uh, as part of our as our, our as part of our HIPAA program and our HIPAA certification, we do end up with a SOC two type two as well. Um, you know, it, the problem with SOC two types twos uh, are that they're only as good as the way that they're scoped. Okay. Um, so I've seen SOC two type twos that are incredibly thorough, incredibly good, and you can really hang your hat on them. Some other ones that you really they're not worth the paper they're printed on. And so I think it really all depends upon 
uh, scoping and, and the actual particular SOC 2 type 2. The value of high trust to me is that, and we, by the way, are really pushing our large third parties that hold our data to be high trust certified. The value of that is, is that everything goes, even though independent assessors can be from a variety of different firms, uh, in order to be certified, they have to send their work papers to high trust. And there's a rigorous quality assurance process to make sure that that the, the assessment itself was was um, sufficient in order to to to, re, to to be relied upon for a certification. So when I see a certification from a third party, um, I know what they've gone through. I know the time they've spent, and I can feel comfortable that they have a good mature security program. Now let's be clear about this. You know, in the old days, I used to send out a questionnaire to my third parties, and they'd fill it out and they'd send it back. On a scale of one to ten. My level of comfort was maybe a two, maybe a three. And that's not because my staff was bad, but because sending out a bunch of questions and relying upon them is fundamentally a flawed concept. Yes, yes. If I go get a, if I see a, an organization's got high trust certification, I figure it's not perfect, but it's a seven or an eight. And also, they're not giving it to themselves, correct? Some outside no, no. entity is it's, is, a, it's an independent assessor that's been certified right. by high trust. So that's why it's different than a questionnaire as well. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. and you know, you could argue the same thing about a SOC two type two, but you know, high trust. You know, everything gets submitted to a central organization that which is high trust the organization, and they verify and ensure that 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 assessment was was appropriately performed. So, again, it's not perfect, but if I'm going from a two to a three to a seven or an eight, that's a big jump in confidence. Huge. And so that's what I. That's why I. Uh, we we prefer to see high trust certifications. We 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 can we feel much more comfortable and we can rely much more on 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 that certification and as a um, a good housekeeping seal of approval for that organization's security program. So you've used the phrases uh, we prefer to see. We are pushing. You have not used. You have not said that we require high trust certification for any vendor that is going to be doing business with UPMC. Why are we not doing that? Well, only recently has HITRUST come up with a more tiered program. The problem with, with, with HITRUST, especially for smaller organizations, is it's expensive. It's also time consuming. So, um, yes, we are pushing hard to get people to be HITRUST certified. We're also working with other organizations, and they're pushing their vendors hard to be HITRUST certified. And really the hope is, is by that by a group of healthcare providers really pushing hard to get high trust certification, we move the industry. And, and I'm, I'm increasingly seeing more and more organizations um, that are high trust certified or are saying to us as we're negotiating with them to acquire their services. Oh yes, we're going through high trust. Now we'll have our certification within six months. Um, but it is a, it is a bit of a journey. So um, we're really trying to move the industry. Uh, and I think we're being successful at that just based upon, you know, anecdotal evidence. So it sounds like it would not work from a business point of view for you to put that absolute requirement in place. Too many vendors, too many applications that your users would want to use would not be, uh, would be too small or just getting started and it just wouldn't work. You would you're, you're correct though. Again, high trust has just come out with a tiered program. That's as much easier for smaller vendors to, to use. Okay. 
and to to and apply. We can't say a hard no or hard you know that we you absolutely must have Hydra certification or we're we're not going to do business with you. But we are going to push you really hard mm-hmm. to become Hydra certified. It is a consideration. And if we are dealing with two vendors or or we're negotiating with two vendors or considering two vendors, one of which has Hydra certification and one that does not, uh, there's a pretty good likelihood we're going to go to the one that has it. Um, and that we've, that has happened. I will tell you that that has happened. Um, so, you know, it's not, it's not a veiled threat that we're making. Um, but I'm, I, and again, I think I see the industry's moving. Uh, um, and I, I'm, that, you know, I'm pleasantly um, surprised that, that some of the vendors come back and say, Oh yes, we're working on high trust right now. And I, I assume they would say, no, 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 we're not, but they are, or, or they have it. It's becoming increasingly common. All right, let's talk about uh, Health 3PT. Tell me what this entity is, what you can tell me about who's running it or organizing it, and why you felt something like this was important for you to get involved in. What what needed to go beyond sort of the pro-high-trust stance you're taking? Why did you need something else? What else does this serve? Well, what- first of all, it's a consortium of of organizations like like UPMC that have come together to say listen we we need to have better understanding of our third party security and so we and we're all of the sort of a, the same mind that high trust is the appropriate vehicle for that purpose and so um, feeling that any one of us if we tried to go to our vendor community and said you need to be high trust certified we'd get you know we would get some level of, of support, some level of, of compliance. We recognize if we went out as a, um, as a consortium and all pushed our vendors to be HITRA certified, that we would have much more success. And, and again, I, I think we, that's, that's happening. And as I said before, it, it's, it's really good when you, you, you go to negoti- negotiate with a, a, a new vendor, a new third party you haven't dealt with before and you ask about high trust and they either say they have it or they're working on it because mm-hmm. that means that somebody else has convinced them to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think the, this, this, this idea of having a consortium that's pushing the industry has been successful. And that's really what the purpose of, of the council really is. Let's talk a little bit more about your third party risk management program with this old sure. ties to, I've heard nightmare stories uh, from people about trying to get their arms around this people that are dealing with the regular inflow of requests from the business for new vendors that they want to work with is a process. Everyone's working to get their arms around. <clears throat> people are also being tasked with, Oh yeah. In addition to dealing with that flow, that's not stopping. That's coming in. If not accelerating, we want you to go back and retier the 1,500 vendors that you currently work with, with yep. the new criteria. So have fun with that and get back to me very soon. Um, right. I, I mean, I've heard this is just eating people alive. Um, I wonder what you could tell me about your program, what you like about it, yeah. and just your advice that you could give to other CISOs who are maybe struggling with this. Great question. Um, I have a team of people that's focused on third-party risk. And we use a number of tools in order to assess risk of third parties. And, 
And uh, we also have a, an annual process. So if you're in our, if you're a current uh, vendor that we use today, you on an annual basis are going to are going to be required to submit to our process. If you're a new vendor, you're going to be required to submit as well. So um, I think the the biggest challenge is is understanding who all those those vendors, those third parties are. And again, that's one of the reasons why our data governance function is so important is because it helps us understand, you know, especially for our current our current um, group of uh, vendors and third parties, you know, we can see where our data is going through our data governance functions and we can watch for outbound flows of data and, um, and the like so that we can get a sense on, you know, potentially who should be part of our program. But finding all of those those third parties is it can be a challenge. You got to work with supply chain. Um, during, you know, as as new vendors are are being considered, uh, uh, you know, work with your your other the other teams within IT to try to identify where those where other vendors might be. Uh, you know, we work as I said, our data governance team um, really watches for outbound data traffic, but it also works with our with our electronic file transfer team to, to understand where they're sending data um, to get a get a get a sense on who these third parties are. Um, so trying to corral them all can be can be a bit of a challenge. Don't don't get me wrong. And then you've got to try to how to figure out how to, to organize and manage all that and get good data about them um, and keep that data up to date so you understand what your potential risk profile is there. Um, because I will tell you there's, there's, there's a number of things that happen. Um, first of all, uh, these third parties that we use, often they change the type of services they provide. So, you know, you're, you're say by example, you know, you're working with a third party and you're sending, you know, 50,000 patient records a year to them for a particular service. And all of a sudden your business decides you're going to add a service and it goes from 50,000 to a hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. or it goes from 10,000 to 50,000 or whatever. So often the service offerings that these vendors provide changes. Mm-hmm. Things that were you acquired that were, were run within your data center on-prem, now all of a sudden are now cloud-based. And who told us? We, we may not even know that that changed. So we have to, we, we at least on an annual basis, want to try to understand, um, you know, what what the what's going on with that particular third party. We also at, at UPMC have an enterprise architecture process. So any new application, whether it be in the cloud or on-premises, that we that is being considered for use at UPMC has to go through an enterprise architecture review. And part of the enterprise architecture review is the security review. So we're also trying to catch, you know, new third parties coming into our environment through our enterprise architecture review. And we're trying to couple that as well with what our supply chain does. So supply chain is pretty good about, uh, you know, before they consider consider any new IT uh, vendor, it's got to go through our enterprise architecture review and our security review. So they're good partners with us in that regard. So would you say it's sort of a, a two-pronged approach or it should be, one is ideally we've created a, a process and a culture where uh, people considering new applications understand that these need to be submitted to IT and security in order for proper reviews to take place in a timely fashion, and they come to you. So that's that's the ideal. 
But we also understand that either we're not there yet or maybe we'll never be there 100%. And therefore, we're going to put all these nets in, in different places. We're going to detect data movement. We're going to detect purchasing. We're going to do things like that so that when someone has not come to us ahead of time, we find out about it after the fact. We don't love it, but we still find out about it. And then we remediate. Then we go have that conversation and say, oh, by the way, you didn't remember to come to us. So now we need to take a look at it. That, I, I think that's a great way to summarize our program. First and foremost, we wanted to go through enterprise architecture review early because we really want to get through and perform the enterprise architecture review before we make a decision to, to, to go with that particular third party. We, we want to make sure there aren't any issues, not just in, with respect to security, but with respect to the architecture of the offering. We want to make sure there already isn't something in our portfolio right. yeah. products that already does that. Right. So the earlier on that we go through enterprise architecture review, the more likely that we're going to make a good decision from not just a technology perspective, but from a business perspective. However, if we if it gets the whole way to our supply chain review process and then comes to our attention, okay, we, we would prefer that it be earlier, but if it happens then it happens then. And our, as I said, we partner very well with supply chain. Um, to make sure that 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 you know that that enterprise architecture review is performed, um, and they'll so they'll bring things to our attention as well. I mean, it's amazing how the connection, the webs, the connections of things. You know, you brought up the application rationalization process and how important that is today. And in, in tighter margins, we don't want to mm-hmm. have seven apps to do the same thing. It doesn't make sense financially. It doesn't make sense from a security point of view. It's all connected. And that also is now involving the CISO where they need to have a a role and a voice, not ultimately making the decision of which of the three apps is going to stay, but in the process and driving towards that desired outcome. Sure. Yeah. I I would say that a lot of times I I feel the role of an influencer Mm -hmm. and often, or it's not uncommon that, uh, I'll get involved because of uh, of, uh, of security, but I'll bring up other considerations like, hey, have, is, has this gone through enterprise architecture review? Um, you know, have you talked to such and such about this? What, you know, I, I or, you know, sometimes I'll even know, hey, aren't we using product X for this already? <laughs> um, so I will, uh, it is not uncommon for me to direct people to others within the organization when something is brought to my attention because of security. Um, it really is a team effort. And my my peers do the same thing. You know, if they if they see something happening and they think security hasn't been adequately engaged, the, you know, they'll they'll send an email off to me or give me a call or pull in one of my architects. Um, but we're we're pretty good about uh, policing and helping each other out in that respect. Wow. Um, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. We're almost out of time. I just want to see if there's anything else I want to run by you. Uh, I guess as a final question, you've been there 25, 26 years? Long time, yeah. You, you got a lot of what I call gravitas in the organization. Uh, I'm sure you have a, a voice people listen to. Um, do you have any advice for someone who may be newer to the role uh, you know, either just starting or a few years in, how to be an effective security leader um, when you're fairly new, how to get um, 
people to trust you, that you're not an impediment to business, that you're here to help the business. You need to do certain things, but you're not a roadblock. I would imagine that's sort of what you want to get, get across. I wouldn't say that I have gravitas. I, I think I have respect both mm-hmm. within IT and outside of IT. And I know many people in the organization. So I know how to, 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 to engage as necessary um, to when there are, are security issues or, or uh, you know, concerns, you know, about, you know, new application or whatever that we're trying to pull in the environment. Um, but if I had, you know, if I had uh, one piece of advice to, to, to a new CISO, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be that you, 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 you can't ever say no. You can say that's not going to work the way you have it designed, but here's, I think how we can solve the problem. You want to come up with a, you want to help the the business um, individual figure out how to solve the business problem. And it may not be the way they envision. Um, so that's what you really need to be focused on is, is trying to get them to the, a solution that works for them and works for security as well. Um, you know, it's, so it's, it's, that's really, to me, the most important thing. Sometimes, yeah, you really do have to put your foot down and say, listen, guys, this is just, this is, this is dangerous. But then you want to sort of hold out the olive branch and say, but what are you trying to achieve here? And let me see if we can work with you on this. And I will also tell you, there have been times where I've said, listen, this is, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and you find out that the, really the executive business leader, when they find out about it, they say, I agree with John. Um, uh, we're not doing this or I, you know, unless John says it's okay, uh, I'm not moving forward. And I've had that happen on a lot of occasions. So, um, you know, it, 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 it's respect. I think there's a lot of respect you want to try to, to build within the leadership team of your organization, uh, and then help to try to solve problems in a secure fashion. And would you say people get it now more than they used to with all the public breaches and hospitals being down for weeks and a month and the costs? I mean, the the general public has a better sense or the general user base has a better sense of what's at stake. I think most do. Mm -hmm. Some still, I think, are are so focused on trying to get their business done that they they lose sight of the risk. Mm -hmm. And as an attorney as well, I, I, I really hadn't said it before, but I, I get involved in most of our IT negotiations. That's one of my, my responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, during the negotiating process, I, I will often, uh, you know, get involved in fairly um, difficult negotiations around things like limitation of liability for a security breach and, and things of that sort. Um, and so, um, you know, you really sometimes going through a, a, a legal negotiation, you're actually often educating the user at that point in time when they don't even recognize some of the uh, of the issues associated with what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I literally about three weeks ago, I got done with a negotiation and the person said to me, listen, I really appreciate you being involved. I didn't understand. I really didn't understand what some of these risks really were until I sat in on some of the negotiating and, you know, saw how you pressed them on some things. So I think it's important to understand that there's a, well, all I'm trying to do is mitigate risk. I'm not trying to get rid of of, of preventing the business from doing what it needs to do, but everything, you know, there's an old saying here, everything's fine until it's not. And (laughs) it's great. And, you know, it's all of a sudden you've got a big, ugly 
issue and some everybody's looking around the room asking questions. Well, who the hell let this happen? Right. Right. Brilliant. Brilliant. John, I could keep you another hour, but I won't. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Thanks.